Welcome to the Created to Flourish podcast, where we'll explore the believer's call to respond to great global need. In each episode, we'll be reading a chapter from a book called Created to Flourish, co-authored by Peter Greer and Phil Smith, and we'll examine how employment-based solutions empower families to use their God-given abilities to serve their communities. I'm your host, Hannah Ruth, Hope International's Regional Representative in Minnesota. In this episode, we'll talk about some of the diverse services that microfinance organizations provide to their clients. If you're just joining the podcast, we'd recommend going back and starting from episode one and listening to the episodes in order. Let's dive in. Chapter eight, Exploring Variations, written by Peter Greer. When you sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star to your child at bedtime, you might be unaware that this simple melody was the basis for a Mozart piano masterpiece. In variations on A vous de je maman, Mozart takes a simple theme and creates 12 complex and beautiful variations that challenge accomplished pianists. In a similar way, we've described the core methodologies of savings and credit associations and microfinance institutions and their theme of unlocking productivity through savings and small loans. But this is just the beginning. This chapter shows the incredible variations possible through microenterprise development. Microfinance institutions currently reach over 211 million entrepreneurs and their families. This is an extensive network. Innovators recognize that this vast distribution channel has the capacity to provide many other valuable services to families in poverty. If such services can be provided with little extra effort or cost, then why not do so? This is the vision of Microfinance Plus, to provide a holistic range of services, insurance, counseling, training, immunizations, and so forth, to clients through the basic framework of microenterprise development. When an MFI decides to add a product or service to help its clients, it typically costs a small amount to do so. The MFI already has in place the necessary resources to make and collect small loans. It already has personnel who are respected and have an implied authority in their borrowers' lives. Because of this, many charities and nonprofit organizations are already working with MFIs, giving them products or services cheaply or at no cost because they know MFIs can distribute the products and help ensure their acceptance. Variations on the theme of microenterprise development are pushing the boundaries, with several innovative products reaching street dwellers, youth, and people in prostitution. Cell phones. One of the first successes in expanding the boundaries within microfinance was orchestrated by Muhammad Yunus and Iqbal Qadir in Bangladesh with Grameen Phone. In 1995, Grameen Bank had already established a network of more than 2 million entrepreneurs spread over 35,000 villages and was anxious to see what it could accomplish next. Yunus and Kadir recognized that knowing the current market price for commodities could greatly enhance the bargaining power of farmers in poverty, and that a three-minute phone call could save hours for a merchandiser who needs to know if her goods have arrived in a nearby city. Propelled by the communications revolution of the 1990s, they realized villagers around the world could access a wealth of information via cell phones if only they had access. Select Grameen clients received a loan to purchase a cell phone. In an environment where there were very few phones and financially there was no way each villager could afford a phone of her own, 
the cell phone ladies became a key part of the community's commercial activity while also growing a thriving small business. Think of it as the Bangladeshi version of the payphones that were commonly seen at gas stations, airports, and restaurants in our country until everyone had their own cell phone. Others have followed Grameen Phone's example. Urwego in Rwanda began working with the Grameen Foundation in 2006 to provide phone loans to existing clients located in rural areas. Clients use these loans to purchase a village phone kit from mobile telephone networks, MTN, that included a cable and extended antenna to be placed in a tall tree or pole in the village, as well as an earpiece and a car battery for charging the phone. Marie Claire Irwanda was one of the entrepreneurs who benefited from this innovative partnership. A client of Urwego, she initially received a loan to open a small restaurant she called Isimbi. She took an additional loan to purchase the phone kit and repaid the loan in only five months. With the phone kit, she sold approximately 30 minutes of airtime per day to her community, providing about $12 of profit each week. With growing numbers of Rwandans owning cell phones, over 78% of the population in 2016, Arwego has continued adapting in creative ways, now offering banking services through mobile phones. Called M. Jose, Jose is the Kinyarwanda word for everywhere, the system allows clients to make financial transactions over their mobile phones and at participating businesses. Using their phones, clients can access a range of services, from viewing their savings account balance to receiving and repaying loans to paying utility bills. This provides greater convenience for clients and reduces cash-related risks for loan officers who no longer have to travel with large amounts of money. Microinsurance According to the U.S. Census Bureau's 2014 Health Insurance Coverage Report, 33 million U.S. citizens live without insurance. Lack of health care is a serious problem in the United States. It is a crisis in many parts of the world. I have never found an individual living anywhere near the poverty line who had any formal insurance unless it was through an MFI. Insurance is a luxury that most people in poverty cannot afford. While companies like Alliance AG and State Farm Insurance Companies span the globe, their services seldom, if ever, reach those living in poverty and on the margins in the developing world. But so what? How important is insurance? From a business standpoint, would families in poverty even be willing to pay for insurance if it were available? For families below the poverty line, health insurance is actually of critical importance because it provides some protection from emergencies. Instead of a broken leg and subsequent infection pushing a person into destitution, insurance could allow a trip to the city for a clean cast and a pair of crutches. The Collective Microfinance Network provides a way to cost-effectively provide insurance to those living in deepest poverty in remote parts of the world. In February 2008, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation awarded a $24.2 million grant to Opportunity International subsidiary the Microinsurance Agency, MIA, to significantly expand its insurance products to those living in poverty in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Now known as Microinsure, this organization serves 40 million people in 20 countries with health insurance premiums as low as $3 to $5 per year. This price and delivery mechanism makes insurance affordable for its clients, 85% of whom had never had an insurance product before. 
Microinsurance includes a range of products that can help those in poverty manage economic hardship, such as flooding, drought, hospitalization, or a death in the family. Workers in the developing world are more likely to experience hardship that can trap them in lifelong poverty, yet they are less likely to have any type of insurance. On the ground, such programs are affordable and convenient. Mara, a 31-year-old mother of four, lives in East Timor. Mara pays 5% of her loan amount as payment for her insurance premium. This payment is easily covered through her increased business income. She is glad to make the payment because it means that she and her children have regular access to preventive health and even dental services. More important, however, Mara knows that in the event of an emergency, insurance will protect her family from disaster. A microloan gives Mara daily hope and income, while microinsurance piggybacked on that loan gives her daily peace of mind about her family's health and financial future. Life Skills Education This morning when I was eating Cheerios with my daughter, I studied the back of the box. When I was growing up, the backs of cereal boxes were the place for brightly colored matching games, mazes, and interesting facts about the world. Now the space is used for something very different. Advertising. And not advertising for other General Mills cereals either, but for Pampers Cruisers. The marketing team at Pampers knows that the back of a Cheerios box is a great way to reach a key demographic, parents of young children. In a similar way, microfinance institutions have recognized they can reach a captive audience and transmit important messages that could improve the lives of their clientele. Credit with education, as it is commonly referred to, takes advantage of the weekly or bi-weekly meeting structure of microfinance. A leader in the credit with education movement, Freedom From Hunger, provides training and technical assistance in health, nutrition, and business and household finance to clients of microfinance institutions around the world. Microfinance institutions are using their reach to inform clients and their communities about everything from business training to the benefits of breastfeeding, from labor codes to language skills. For example, facilitators with Esperanza do a series of trainings in community bank meetings focused on preventative health, everything from eating well to preventing mosquito-borne illnesses to hygiene. Esperanza also offers female clients screenings for cervical cancer, identifying any potential abnormalities so they can be treated before they become cancerous. Savings and credit associations also take advantage of regular meetings to provide training, In a small survey conducted by Hope International among SCA members in Rwanda, Burundi, and Malawi, 99% of participants said they desire additional training in topics like farming techniques, business planning, and raising livestock. Even more impressive, 78% of respondents said they'd be willing to contribute financially to this training, an indicator of the value they place on this service. Micropharmacies On one of my trips to Haiti, I either ate some food or drank some water that caused me severe abdominal pain. After two days of living in the bathroom, doctors informed me that I had Shigella, also known as bacillary dysentery. As soon as we received this diagnosis, my wife ran off to CVS to pick up a prescription for an antibiotic called ciproflaxin. After popping a few pills, I was back to normal. When I had this illness, I never once feared for my life. In the United States, it is virtually unheard of to perish from this illness, simply because medicine is readily available. 
but I was shocked to learn that Shigella causes more than one million deaths each year, mostly in children in the developing world. Mothers and fathers across the globe are mourning the needless loss of their children. The problem is getting affordable medicine to the nearly 3,000 people dying each day. Microfinance institutions can be instrumental in making this happen by leveraging their networks to provide basic health services and access to medicine such as simple antibiotics. One pioneer in this pursuit to distribute generic medicines to those in need is the Health Store Foundation. Founded by Scott Hillstrom to address the lack of medical services around the world, the Health Store Foundation has established a network of micropharmacies and clinics whose mission is to provide access to essential medicines to marginalized populations in the developing world. The health store outlets target the most common killer diseases, including malaria, respiratory infections, and dysentery. They also provide health education and prevention services, all within a micro-franchise model called CFW Shops, Children and Family Wellness Shops. These franchises receive a supply of high-quality and low-cost drugs, management support, training, and other valuable benefits from health store to ensure the standardization and success of the program. In this model, the relationship with the microfinance institution helps identify entrepreneurs and expand the message of these health clinics. The reality is that this new access to affordable and life-saving treatments means that when children get sick with Shigella, they do not die. Microschools. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services notes that individuals with less than a high school education are at the greatest risk of becoming poor despite their work effort. This insight is true in the developing world as well. Education is a key to success. But how do children in poverty access a quality education? Edify was started to answer just that question. Edify is a nonprofit based on the premise that many private schools already exist to serve families in poverty. Started by Christ-following entrepreneurs who have a vision of serving the children of their community, these schools often lack the capital and training needed to expand. Edify partners with these schools to provide training, capital, and education technology to help these entrepreneurs reach even more children in poverty. Beatrice Bamarange is one such education entrepreneur in Rwanda. I have a calling to serve the hopeless in Rwanda, she shared, but did not know where. After visiting a rural village and realizing there was no school to serve the community's children, Beatrice realized this was where God was calling her to serve. She started a small school in someone's home, and she used loans from Rwego to build classrooms and add bathroom facilities. In responding to God's call, she's also inspired others, and three of her friends have now built schools and communities that previously lacked access to education. Corporate Piggybacking According to joint data from UNICEF, WHO, and the World Bank, nearly one in four children under the age of five suffers from stunted growth, a marker of malnutrition and a harbinger of physical and mental challenges. To combat this crisis, several microfinance institutions have created partnerships that address basic nutritional needs. Once again, Mohammed Yunus in Bangladesh led in innovative and pioneering programs that have impacted other parts of the developing world. He initiated a joint venture with yogurt manufacturer Dan & Company to bring healthy daily nutrition to low-income populations in Bangladesh. 
Known as Grameen Dannon Foods, this joint venture is registered as a social business enterprise in which all profits are invested back into the company or the community it serves. The widespread infrastructure of Grameen Bank allows life-saving products to be quickly disseminated and distributed throughout Bangladesh. Another example of a corporate partnership occurred between the Center for Community Transformation, CCT, and Pepsi-Cola. Insufficient potable water is a serious issue in Manila, one of the largest cities in the world and home to over 24 million people. Water from the taps is unsafe, and water merchants charge exorbitant prices, forcing people in poverty to drink contaminated water. To solve this problem, CCT came up with an innovative solution. The center persuaded Pepsi to donate a state-of-the-art water purification system. CCT located the water purification system in the middle of one of the least-served slums in Manila, right next to a water merchant who is charging a day's wage for a day's water. Since then, CCT and Pepsi have built two additional water systems, which are managed as social enterprises by private individuals. While there is a charge for the water, it is a reasonable amount that everyone can afford. The water stations also employ former street dwellers to deliver the water, providing them a sustainable income. Small and Medium Enterprises While most microfinance efforts focus on families in poverty, there are other entrepreneurs ready for larger amounts of capital for their small or medium-sized businesses who are unable to obtain traditional loans from conventional banks. Small and medium enterprise loans are necessary for some entrepreneurs to achieve economies of scale and more rapidly expand a business. These loans help to build a productive middle class and expand employment opportunities. Microfinance institutions are helping these larger entrepreneurs, either by expanding the size of their loans or creating linkages with formal banks and handing off entrepreneurs that outgrow the MFI. For 30-year-old Viorel Lup, starting a chicken farm in his home village of Hinteris, Romania, is a dream come true. Viorel's family has lived in Hinteris for generations, but though his relationship with Jesus Christ motivated him to help his community by starting a local business, it proved difficult to get off the ground. He moved to England for much of his 20s, where he worked long days and faithfully set aside money for his future business. Now that he's returned to Romania, VRL is using his savings. European Union grant funding and an SME loan from Romcom, Hope International's partner in Romania, to make his dream a reality. He's built two barns where he eventually plans to house nearly 40,000 chickens. VRL hired local people to build his barns and plans to do the same for those who will help care for his chickens. This is my dream, to help many others. This is the best thing you can do in this world, he shared. Small businesses like this are the engine of the economy, says Ionet Kresian, a rom-com loan officer. While not every entrepreneur achieves this level of success, many, like VRL, are ready for larger amounts of capital to continue to capitalize their businesses. Housing Believing that people can lead more productive, healthy lives if they are not worried about their home collapsing or their belongings becoming wet and moldy, Esperanza International in the Dominican Republic offers home improvement loans to help clients lay cement flooring and construct a watertight roof. Usually larger than most business loans, these loans have a repayment period of one to two years. Juliana Furman is an example of a client who has taken out one of these special housing loans. 
Juliana has operated a salon from her home for many years, allowing her to save money instead of paying rent. I don't have to pay anyone outside, she shares. I am investing in my own property. Juliana first took out a loan from Esperanza in 2012, which she used to purchase hair dryers and fix broken equipment. After taking out and repaying several loans, she took out a home loan, using it to build a concrete addition on one side of her house. She plans to move her salon into this addition, giving her more space to diversify by selling clothing to her customers. Agricultural Finance In 2002, the Consultative Group to Assist the Poor, CGAP, received funding from the International Fund for Agricultural Development, IFAD, to conduct research on the feasibility of financing small-scale agricultural efforts. They discovered that most microfinance institutions were not meeting the needs of the agricultural sector. The reasons were obvious. Natural disasters or drought can quickly wipe out crops. Delivering services to rural areas is expensive, population density is low, economies of scale were difficult to achieve, and loans were so small that it was difficult to cover costs through interest rates. CGAP summarized the findings this way. Agricultural finance is notoriously risky. Many farmers need credit to purchase seeds and other inputs, as well as to harvest, process, market, and transport their crops. While borrowing on the basis of anticipated crop production might seem logical where collateral assets are few, such loans expose the lender to production and price risk. Natural disaster, a decline in market prices, unexpectedly low yields, the lack of a buyer, or loss due to poor storage conditions are only some of the factors that can result in lower-than-expected revenues. Such a fall in revenues can often lead to high default rates on agricultural loans. The overwhelming failure of state government banks that provided billions of dollars in subsidized agricultural finance to farmers in the 1970s and 80s, combined with scant rural penetration by risk-averse commercial financial institutions, has led to a widespread dearth of agricultural credit. Yet new approaches are increasingly being developed to fill this gap in a sustainable and efficient manner. Despite these daunting challenges to agricultural lending and savings, individuals are showing that there are economic development opportunities within agriculture. Hope Ukraine, for example, provides loans to entrepreneurs using greenhouses to extend their growing season. Clients use these loans to purchase seeds and fertilizer, build greenhouses, improve heating and refrigeration of their space, and install irrigation systems. Volodya Grabdovich owns three large greenhouses where he grows cucumbers, flowers, tomatoes, and green beans. Each day he fills his trailer and travels to Lviv, a city in western Ukraine, to sell his flowers. He also sells produce and flowers in his village of Vinogradiv, strengthening the local economy. After investing multiple loans, Volodya's business has flourished. My family now has a way to earn money, he says. With the profits from his business, Volodya is building a house next to the greenhouses, along with homes for his son and daughter to live in once they are grown. Volodya continues to refer other potential clients to Hope Ukraine, believing it will help farmers increase their profitability and better steward Ukraine's rich agricultural resources. Animal Loans Heifer International has a proven method of helping farmers around the world. After many years, the organization has learned it must analyze the needs and opportunities of a community before embarking on any project of size, since tiny markets are easily oversaturated. 
After finding the right situation, it selects farmers and trains them in the appropriate ways to raise and care for a particular type of animal. That training may include improving pasture land or building sheds or cages. Heifer International then loans the cows, sheep, chickens, or other type of animal to the people it has trained. Rather than walking away and assuming its work is finished, Heifer International monitors the farmer's progress and adjusts as needed. Finally, the farmers repay the loans by passing on one or more of the animal's offspring to other farmers in the community. Clean Water Pastor Marino Moretta noticed that many children in his community of Frau Secundo, Dominican Republic, were getting sick from drinking contaminated water. Clean bottled water was available, but at 50 to 60 pesos, $1.09 to $1.31 per five-gallon jug, it was too expensive for members of his community to buy regularly. In response, Pastor Marino and his church started Vaso de Vida, meaning glass of life buying a purifier and equipment to sell clean water to their community. At 20 pesos, 44 cents per five gallon jug, the water is much more affordable and it tests cleaner than more expensive brands. In March, 2014, Vasa de Vida took out an Esperanza water loan, a product specifically designed to help churches provide affordable clean water to their low income neighborhoods. Over the course of several loans, Vasa de Vida bought a generator and new filters, as well as a motor for the truck they used to make water deliveries. The ministry now employs seven people and sells 380 jugs of water per day, providing both employment and clean water in their community. Underserved Populations Microfinance is not just developing new products to assist those living in poverty. It is targeting new and diverse populations left behind by traditional economic assistance. Many people believe that microfinance works only for entrepreneurs who have existing businesses, but this assumption is being challenged. Consider the following examples of innovative microfinance initiatives improving the lives of street dwellers, youth, and people in prostitution. Street Dwellers Since Yunus and his Grameen Bank received the Nobel Peace Prize in 2006, microfinance has continued to gain momentum and exposure. However, this increased exposure has also attracted critics who question whether microfinance is really reaching those in extreme poverty. Grameen Bank started a program exclusively for street dwellers called the Struggling Members Program. For Eunice, this was a simple way to test his hypothesis that all human beings are born entrepreneurs. Some get a chance to unleash that capacity, some never got the chance, never knew that he or she has that capacity. Grameen loan officers visit people living on the streets of Bangladesh and explain that a better life than their hand-to-mouth existence is possible. Loan officers explain that these street dwellers could easily turn their begging into a simple business. As you go from house to house, would you take some merchandise with you? Some cookies, some candy, some toys, some sweets? As people consented and subscribed to specifically designed loans, typically no more than $15, repayable without interest, designed as startup capital for an elementary microbusiness, Eunice realized how powerful this mobilized force could be. These de facto door-to-door salespersons, already equipped with sales know-how, were now equipped with the capital to truly profit from their skills rather than simply survive. The incentive to repay these zero-interest loans was the opportunity to receive further loans. By 2008, Grameen Bank had served over 100,000 street dwellers, 
more than 10,000 of whom had risen from begging into other employment. Of the other 90,000, Unislicks to claim that they are in the process of closing down their begging division and concentrating on their sales division. In the Philippines, the Center for Community Transformation, CCT, also found an innovative way to care for those living in deep poverty. Poblubi, or beggars in Tagalog, have few opportunities to escape poverty. Manila is a megacity to which people from all over the Philippines move in hopes of finding a job and a better life. Unfortunately, finding sustainable employment is difficult, and many of these hard-working rural transplants are forced to live on the streets. CCT began a visitation ministry to these people and quickly realized their capacity for productive employment. CCT invited a few to come to their offices to work on a temporary basis, and soon these former street dwellers became full-time employees. CCT eventually hired 20 Palubi as full-time employees who were able to leave the streets and live dignified lives. Since then, CCT's ministry to street dwellers has expanded tremendously. Today, CCT runs a halfway house where families live for about six months as they prepare to leave the street behind. Children attend school, while adults receive job training and skills like sewing, construction, landscaping, and food production. Members form savings groups, learning the discipline of saving 20 pesos, 42 cents, every week, and building a reserve in case of emergency. Additionally, participants hear the Word of God and experience discipling relationships with others. Today, hundreds of former street dwellers are gainfully employed, and several children who used to live on the streets are supporting themselves through college. No longer does CCT refer to these hardworking individuals as palubi, but as kaibigan, or friends. Impoverished individuals caught at the lowest levels of society when given access to capital, legitimate employment possibilities, and the belief that improvement is possible, are able to live new lives through entrepreneurship. Youth. As parents join savings and credit associations, they often recognize the value of training their children to save money as well. In Rwanda, 61% of the population is under the age of 24, and the median age is just 19. While a majority of Hope Rwanda's members are adults, there are around 80 savings and credit associations made up of members ranging in age from 12 to 17. Oscar, a 17-year-old who serves as secretary of his group, immediately saw the benefit of forming a savings group. I had different needs as a child, he shares. One of these needs is education. 16-year-old Vestine uses her savings to buy school supplies. Cecilia, another 16-year-old member, says, I want to study hard and then get a loan from the group to pay for school fees in a good school. She dreams of using that education to become a doctor. People in Prostitution On Valentine's Day in Rwanda, I had an unusual visitor at my home. A prostitute must have known that I was a single American living alone in Kigali, and she came knocking to see if I might be interested in some company. What I was interested in was finding a way to help her earn a living without having to sell her body. The world's oldest profession is evidence that some women feel so desperate they will do whatever it takes to survive and provide for their families. If you were living in poverty with children to feed and no prospects for employment, what would you do, particularly when you had a job that you knew would pay a sufficient amount? 
countless women and children are forced into this form of slavery and often see no way out. For many women in prostitution, entrepreneurship offers an alternative. If these women know how to sell, why can't it be a product other than their bodies? A Kenyan girl lamented, I may have to go into prostitution, and then I know I will get HIV and die. I would rather have a real business, but it is not easy. But what if we could offer hope for the future and a pathway out of poverty? Esperanza identified 15 women, mostly Haitian, who were eager to escape prostitution in Puerto Plata, Dominican Republic, to participate in a program called 40 Days to a New Life. Someone had to show care for them, notes former executive director Carlos Pimotel. They're in prostitution because of poverty. Esperanza used the curriculum developed in Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life to lead these women through a 40-day renewal process. Esperanza then introduced small loans, business training, and alternative income sources through entrepreneurship. As a result, many came to know Jesus Christ, most turned their backs on prostitution, and several took a loan from Esperanza to begin a new life. It's time to change the world. Sometimes a small discovery has the potential to change the world. Is it possible that microenterprise development will radically reshape the way we address poverty? We now see families in poverty not as objects of charity, but as co-participants in the vital work of economic development and global change. Microenterprise development may be the simple, beautiful theme from which variations continue to unfold in wonderful complexity. Jared Diamond writes in Guns, Germs, and Steel that civilizations located at crossroads always develop more rapidly than societies isolated by geographic factors such as rivers and mountains. Our society, indeed our world, now exists at a global crossroads of information and possibility. Given the flexibility, simplicity, and power of microenterprise development, a dramatic reduction in poverty is a realistic goal. Thanks for joining us on the Created to Flourish podcast. This podcast is a production of Hope International, a global nonprofit that responds to the call to serve those living in poverty by providing discipleship, biblically-based training, a safe place to save, and small business loans. If you're interested in learning more about Hope International, we invite you to check out Hope's website, www.hopeinternational.org flourish.